Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Kalajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and your host for this episode. Today, we are joined by Rod Griffith, Founder and Chief Client Officer of MarketReach, a B2B marketing firm that is the marketing services partner for some of the world's most successful technology companies. Rod is also a good friend of Pragmatic Marketing and a longtime partner of mine. So welcome, Rod. Thank you very much. Great to be here. All right, Rod. One thing we hear frequently, right? I think all of us in our, in our lives have heard the, the phrase, uh, it's not personal, it's business. Right. And I know you have a very distinct thought about that concept. And so that is what I'd like to talk to you about today. There you go. Yes, exactly. Yeah, there, there is a, a sort of a common belief in the B2B world. And I don't know if it's, it's maybe it's even, you can even might call it an arrogance in the B2B world that, that we believe that, you know, all business decisions in terms of purchase decisions are, are really made through, you know, gathering information and, and evaluating that, you know, the, the options against a certain set of criteria, uh, pulling together a team of, of decision leaders and team makers and, and uh, looking at competitive benchmarking and customer feedback and testimonials and analyst reports and things like that. And there's a belief that decisions are made mostly as a very objective, carefully thought out decision process. But a lot of research in the past uh, few years has really proven that to be quite wrong, that that while we think that consumer purchases are highly emotional, they're based upon you know just the whim of uh, of uh, of oh, this you know, the emotional appeal of the product and the whim. And the reality is is that um, the research is showing that the, that business to business purchases are actually have far more influence on uh, on our emotions and and, and by emotional um, processes than than do consumer purchases. And it makes sense when you think about it. If you if you buy a lamp, for example. And you get it home and it doesn't really fit the room as well. And maybe you don't, just for whatever reason, you don't like it. You know, what's, what's, what's the downside? Okay, you spent some, a little bit of money, and, but you can give it away. You can re-gift it, right? Or give it to the son or daughter for their college dorm or something. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of personal pain if it doesn't come through as work properly. You make a decision in business by purchasing a major technology for your enterprise financial platformers, and it doesn't work well. Your career's at stake. There's a lot more at stake. Your reputation's at stake. There's a lot of downside to making bad decisions. So the reality is, is that the, the emotions involved with making good decisions uh, and the downside potential can be significant. But we tend to think that, that decisions, like I said, are highly objective because so much energy is spent in B2B marketing focusing on features and benefits and business outcomes and why our product is better and more unique as differentiation over other products. And we rarely spend any time talking about the, the personal value that you'll gain from our products. There's almost a fear of, 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 of talking about the fact that, hey, not only will this product help you reach your business goals and improve your performance or effectiveness or help you uh, navigate critical business risk, for example, we, we tend not to talk about, well, hey, you know, we can help you improve your reputation. We can help you gain advancement. We can help you make your work life easier or less stressful, for example. We, we tend not to approach those subjects. And yet the new research shows that those impact people's decisions significantly more than we thought. Does that make sense? And, and the, the, the studies, and most of it was really, a, really a, quite a fascinating study by CEB um, a few years back that looked at uh, the emotional matters, and they determined that the impact of the perceived brand benefits 
on the commercial outcome, meaning whether someone buys your product, that the business value that your product brings has about a 21% impact, but the personal value that your product brings has a 42%, almost double, virtually double the impact of, uh, of, on the actual outcome. So what that is, is people are more likely to buy your product, twice as more likely, if they understand and believe in the personal value of the person, not the business, just the business value, but the personal value of your products. And what I mean by personal value is the professional benefits, as I talked about, is it going to help me improve my reputation within the company? The social benefits being, um, is it going to help me get better known in the company and, and reach out to other organizations? Am I going to uh, become a, a better team player by, um, by, by purchasing the solution, for example? The emotional benefits, which is, hey, I got a promotion. I, you know, become, I got advancement. I've gotten uh, uh, you know, uh, the excitement of, uh, of the attention of, of putting in a new solution for the company or the self-image benefits, which is, uh, you know, whether they feel better about themselves and the self-confidence about future business decisions, for example. And those, those types of personal values, like I said, have double the impact over business values. The business values being what's the functional benefits of the product? What are the business outcomes we're going to get by using the product? So that's a pretty phenomenal result there. And, and, the, and the other element of the study was they found out that buyers who do see your personal value are not only more likely to purchase, as I talked about, but they're willing to pay more. They're significantly willing to pay more for solutions that not only satisfy their business criteria and business needs, but also provide personal value to, to them, basically, some of those personal values I talked about. So it's pretty phenomenal. And yet, yet when you look at marketing, most marketing B2B, certainly, or especially for technology or complex products, you see very little of personal value being presented in the messaging or in the sales processes or in the, in the, in the playbooks, for example, but the types of things that we use to reach out to customers. So uh, we have an opportunity, all of us as B2B marketers, to boost the, the differentiation of our messaging and of our, of our offerings by infusing our messaging and offerings with that personal value messaging. Did I explain that good? I hope so. <laughs> But that, that's why we need to look at things and say, okay, well, what is it, you know, how do we, how do we infuse our messaging with that personal value? You know, well, you got to look at, you know, what are those personal values? And the first thing we try to do is, is our recommendation is you got to talk to customers. You got to talk to your customers and talking to customers is, uh, for, especially for larger companies, there's a, marketers are oftentimes sort of kept from that uh, in the ivory tower and they're kept from talking to customers. And, uh, they have to work through field organizations and things like that to make that happen. But that's, it's so critical that, that, um, that uh, you get out there and talk to customers. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll point out the, the pragmatic Nihito principle, right? You know, um, uh, which is basically, you, you know, nothing happens in the office. It's important. You got to get out there and talk to customers. So that's really, really true when it comes to understanding the, the personal values that you bring, because you need to find out what it is that drives their decisions. Because it's one thing to, to get hold of their, the, the, and understand their business value, which is the typical business criteria they're using for a purchase. It's a whole nother thing to understand, well, what's their personal motivations? You know, what, what are they getting as a personal value out of our solution that we're not aware of that we need to be thinking about including as part of our messaging? Does that help? No, it's great. And I mean, it's, it's extraordinarily powerful, right? They're twice as likely to, to buy it and they'll pay more for it. Um, and uh, who doesn't want that? Um, 
But in terms of the, just what you're talking about, how do I sort of start to collect and recognize and quantify those kind of personal and emotional benefits? Like, can I just say, hey, what personal benefits did you get out of this? Or how do I help them see that? Yeah, that, that, that's a challenge. It, 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 there's certain questions you absolutely can ask a customer directly. There's some where you do need to work indirectly through your account management, your, your sales organization, the people do, that do understand those, those customers, because there's certain questions that are not going to be comfortable to ask or comfortable to answer, right? You know, uh, did our product, uh, uh, you know, help improve your, your, your reputation, which was hurt last year, for example, you know, but the kind of things you can ask a customer directly are things like, you know, has our product helped to accelerate your career in any way? You know, has it helped you advance and has you helped you improve your uh, professional recognition? You know, has our product helped you win any awards in the company or get visibility to other organizations or other executives in the company that you need visibility to? Has our product helped you establish new or improve current relationships with people or organizations in your company? Or what is our product, you know, how has our product helped you enable you to do something that you couldn't do previously? Does it help you do uh, focus on areas that you prefer to focus on. Does our solution or products help you, um, you know, spend more time on the things that you like to do? You know, sometimes a product's value is the fact that it simply gives the, the, the decision maker more time to focus on other areas of the company that they prefer to spend time on. So these are the kind of questions you can ask customers when you talk to them directly. When you're talking to um, your field organization and your account managers, the people that know your customers, um, sometimes they're better um, equipped to ask uh, certain types of questions such as, has our product helped the customer build personal confidence or pride? Uh, if you don't know the customer, it's a difficult question to ask that straight to the customer, but someone that knows the customer and works with them and has dinner with them and meets with them regularly can certainly um, find out either, at least indirectly, whether they believe that the product has helped the customer boost their, their own personal confidence, their own professional confidence, for example. Another one is, you know, has our product helped the customer build or strengthen relationships or their reputation with their staff and their peers or their executives and their management team, for example. Again, somebody close to the account, someone that knows the customer is going to be able to better um, um, pull that kind of information out through conversational discussions uh, versus, uh, you know, trying to perform a, uh, uh, an, a phone-based survey, for example, or meeting a stranger at a trade show, for example. Um, another one might be, as I mentioned before, it has helped the customer, you know, spend more time working on areas they prefer to focus on. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, a decision maker is not going to admit the fact that they don't actually like the area they've been <laughs> assigned to as a, as, a, as, a, as a procurement manager, for example, or as the IT manager or whatever their, their role is, as the, as the purchasing agent or the purchasing decision maker for those solutions. They may not actually, they may, they may not actually like that type of approach basically or that type of area so sometimes your solution alleviates um, some of the focus and attention they need to spend on something because your, your solution might automate a process for example or make things easier that allows them to focus on areas where they want to we see that in the medical industry all the time because most of the people that involved in, in medical technology decisions oftentimes they started off as doctors or, you know, or, or uh, nurse practitioners, for example. They got into the industry because they want to serve people and help people. And now they've worked into a management role where they're spending so much of their time on making technology decisions regarding medical technology, and they don't actually enjoy it very much. They know it's important to the organization, but they may not personally enjoy it. And so that's not going to be something as easy to 
to get out of them, for example, in a, in a, in a, in a survey, for example. Another one is, you know, has a product uh, or our solution given the customer a greater peace of mind? You know, that's a big one. You know, are they, are they more relaxed? Are they able to finally get the, you know, get some, some quality time to focus on other areas of the business or even quality personal time? Is it able to make them, do they sleep better at night? You know, things like that. Those are really valuable. I mean, anything that keeps someone up at night about their company and about their business and about their purchase decisions, especially, is the kind of thing you want to be focusing on solving for them. Because if you focus and solve something that keeps them up at night, you're going to get their attention. If you're trying to sell a solution that solves a problem that isn't a high priority, that isn't keeping them up at night, now you're starting to sell something that's more of a, more of a luxury, you know, more of a, a nice have versus a gotta have, if you will. And, and you don't want to be selling, if you can avoid it, you certainly don't want to be selling nice apps. You want to be selling gotta haves to the people that really need it. So identifying what keeps them up at night, what are they really worried about, and does our solution help alleviate some of that or all of that fear is a really, really critical one. You know? And then finally, you know, one of the other questions that, that is very useful to, to work with your field organization and your account management people to, to identify is, has our product helped the customer achieve any personal goals? You know, uh, through conversation and through getting to know a customer, you'll often find out that, you know, they haven't taken a vacation in three years, for example, or, you know, their, their spouse is constantly on them about traveling all the time or too many hours at work. And, and so if you've got a solution that can help alleviate that because it helps, again, helps improve the efficiency of what they're doing every day, helps them overcome obstacles that are keeping them working late or keeping them up at night um, online, you know, uh, you're going to be providing a personal value of high value to that customer and again those are the kind of things that you want to be aware of because when all things are equal and in the world of especially in technology products it's very difficult these days to 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 truly have a simple differentiated message that involves simply the technology or the functionality of your product the common the the, the difference between products today is so subtle that it takes a lot more energy and commitment on the part of the customer to really truly understand the differentiation. I was fortunate to be selling computers in the 80s when you know, the leapfrog of technology was you just had to mention the speed of the, of the, of the solution and people instantly understood that, that you had a product that was twice as fast and twice as more productive than the competitors. Unfortunately, you only had that window for about six months typically, but the point was though is that the differentiation was significant back then. Well today, one only needs to go out and try to buy a PC or a laptop and look at the, all the configurations of the various competing products and look at the price and realize they're, they're I mean, I don't wanna say identical, they're not identical, they have different colors, you know, but other than that, you know, they're oftentimes virtually identical in terms of, their, in terms of their, their functional offering and they might be off by $12 in price. You know, it's very difficult to truly um, understand the differentiation and that it gets, becomes increasingly more complex with more complex solutions if you're selling, networking technology or enterprise solutions, for example, you know, it could take you uh, uh, weeks of time and a tremendous commitment on the part of the customer for them to take the time and energy to understand and get into the real bits and bytes of why your technology is better. It isn't as simple as it was, like I said, 20 years ago. So when all things are being equal or, or certainly perceived to be equal on the part of the customer, you can differentiate yourself significantly by focusing on adding in the personal value messaging, that emotional side of the messaging. And that's not because your emotional messaging is different than your competitors. It's because your competitors aren't doing it. 
They're just not doing it. If you look out what's out there today, look at your competition. Very few companies have personal value as part of their front end messaging. They just don't do it. There's such focus on the products and the technology. So there's a window of opportunity until other companies catch on to this sort of missing opportunity. There's a real opportunity uh, window certainly to, to begin to infuse your, your, your product messaging with that personal value slash emotional messaging as a way to provide a more immediacy to your differentiation. And the other nice factor is, is that, is that the studies have shown that emotional cues in messaging um, will garner a response twice as fast, I'm sorry, five times as fast, I'm sorry, five times as fast as cognitive cues, meaning people will respond to emotional appeals with an instantaneous response, as opposed to where they've got to think it through logically and think it takes them five times longer. And so the reason why, you know, fear, for example, is still one of the most commonly used emotional factors in marketing today, because it's so effective, and it's still effective. Creating a, an emotional appeal um, can get you attention faster than simply trying to appeal to the logic or the cognitive thinking of your customers. I can't wait to touch on that more. But first, let's take a quick break. Are you ready to become a product superhero? Pragmatic Marketing has the real-world insights, actionable best practices, and proven tools to help you take your products, your company, and your career to new heights. Visit pragmaticmarketing.com today to get the right product tools for your utility belt so you can save the day every day. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, I think we've, we've talked a lot about how you would, why you would use it and how you would try to start to gather what kind of emotional um, impact your solution has. But I would also think there is a challenge in presenting that about your product in a sense that's believable, right? Like, you know, yeah. you know it has to feel um, incredible. Legitimate. Incredible. Yes. So how, are there some tips and tricks for that? Or how, how do you help build the credibility in your claims? Well, absolutely. That's a, a great question. That's where, and that explains why you'll see these days a few critical tools that really have been um, proven far more effective in doing that. One is customer testimonials, case studies, success stories, leveraging your current customers as much as possible. It's really, really, really critical. Because two reasons. One is it's instantaneous credibility. No one wants to be the guinea pig, right? They don't want to feel like they're the first one to, to, to try this solution or the first one to gain that benefit from your solution. You need to show that, hey, there's companies already doing it. They're already using our solutions. They're already getting not only the business benefits that we talked about, reaching key business goals, achieving critical performances, avoiding key business risks, for example, but also the personal goals that we talked about. It's improving their reputation. It's, it's, it's boosting their advancement opportunity. It's giving them opportunity to work, uh, to work uh, less stressfully, for example. Those personal values need to be um, uh, presented equally with the business values. And uh, the way to really prove them is, is gonna be through third-party referrals, referring to testimonials and customers that are already doing that, for example. But another factor that why that's, that works well too is because it's, uh, it's like, I used to call it projectionism, right? Which is that you don't want to sit and talk to a customer and say, hey, 
you know, your reputation might not be that great right now. We can help improve it. Or your, your, your advancement opportunities are slower. And with our solution, we're going to make you look like a real champion. You don't want to imply that, right? But if you talk about a, another company similar to theirs, who had this, whose decision maker had this challenge, this personal challenge of trying to boost their visibility in the company. You can go ahead and talk about those things and talk about the personal benefits when you apply them to a a, a, an unknown third party, for example. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't require the awkwardness that would come into play if you're talking directly about the customer themselves. So you can, uh, you can refer to a third party and provide better advancement. The other tools that really help nowadays is is to, when it comes to emotional types of messaging, the, the best uh, approach is to help your customers vicariously sort of see what it's going to feel like to benefit from your solution, to sort of get a vicarious sense of the emotional benefit and the personal value benefit of your, of your solution. And that's why pitching features and benefits uh, isn't really going to cut it doing that. What you, you, what you want to do is leverage interactive uh, tools. You want to leverage video, for example. You want to leverage um, those types of sales tools that allows the customer to feel like they're sort of vicariously experiencing the benefit of using your products. And that's why we see, you've seen a boost, not just for our agency, but you'll see across the board, uh, the, the, the data shows that the boost in use of video and the use of interactive demonstrations, for example, and touchscreen systems and virtual reality and things like that are all coming into play as these technologies become available they're all going to be used more and more to help those customers gain the sense of use of your products um, and to feel the advantage of the products before actually having to commit to your products. Because that's the catch-22. In fact, the CEB study showed that, that while customers do perceive personal value of the products they own, they don't see the personal value of the products unless they, if they don't own them, basically. So in other words, the catch-22 is that people don't truly understand the personal value, those emotional values that your solution brings unless they own your product and have been using it for a while. So how, now you got a challenge. Well, how do I communicate and get them to believe in the personal value of my solutions without having to commit to them actually installing it and using it or buying it, for example. And again, that's where these interactive tools, these uh, uh, um, uh, um, videos uh, and, 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 and types of sales tools where they get to feel like they're using your solution or benefiting from your solution without the commitment or the time it takes to actually install it and put it into a, you know, a test production environment, for example. That's really, really critical. And there's, and there's some great technology out there to allow you to do that. Now, you know, we've, we, you know, we've seen things where some of our clients used to take large, expensive racks of servers and, and, and bring them to trade shows and stand there with them and try to talk to this giant device. And all the thing can do at a trade show is sort of blink at you, right? You know, there's not much you can really visually see other than this giant box. And what we would, what we did is we basically took all the guts out of the rack and replaced it with a touchscreen system that digitally replicates the contents of the system, but actually allows the customer now to explore it and touch with touchscreen. And they can actually view into what it feels like to have this and see videos of the product in use in different environments. They can touch a manufacturing button and all of a sudden they can see the product being used in a manufacturing environment. They can touch a healthcare environment. They can we use touchscreens and videos to help the customer, again, gain that kind of vicarious experience of feeling what it's, gonna, what, it, what it's gonna be like to have the solution. With the goal of them walking away thinking, wow, man, my life's gonna be a lot better if I could have that, 
I'm going to really, really want to go home, go back to my office and find a way to get our company to really be thinking about the solution. And isn't that really ideally what you want in a, in a, in a, after a demo at a trade show or at a sales center? You want them walking away thinking, what am I going to do when I get back to the office to get my company to, to put some funds behind the solution? And it's all for those types of tools. Does that make sense? So it's, you know, it's a, and then, like I said, the industry is, is becoming aware of that. And then you're seeing a rapid increase in the use of those kind of tools versus purely print, for example, print sales tools, you know, the collateral, things like that. They're still needed. No, no doubt they still need to be there. In fact, success stories and things like that are very popular in, in print. White papers are still a very popular tool. But enhancing them with tools that allow the customer to vicariously experience the sensation of using your solution and the benefits of using your solution, both the business and the personal value benefits, is really when you're going to have a differentiated type of a, of a, of a customer engagement. I think, too, I, um, it's a really good point, too, because one of the things I've seen uh, when we've done our market calls here that, that our clients have struggled with and which I've struggled with myself uh, at different ports in my career is how to make those sort of success stories and case studies come to life, right? In the old day, it was the big interview and the big write-up um, and, you know, some sadly large portion of those never made to market because they died in someone's legal team review. And if they made it to market, the people didn't necessarily read them. So how do we make those success stories pop up? How do we put them in uh, consumable bits and make them feel like a more organic testament to our solution? And I think to your point, some of those tools can help a great deal with that while conveying these sort of um, emotional benefits of the product as well. And you can break them into short little bursts of small pieces. People want to read things in small bites and they don't want to commit to the lengthy, in-depth, you know, um, uh, case study until they've sort of had a taste of what it's going to help them with. So, you know, having small, I mean, our we typically do a video, we try to keep it under a minute, literally, for a lot of our videos, for example. We try to keep those engagements brief and tight to kind of just gently nudge that customer along their buying cycle to help them get them to think, wow, I should look into this further. And, and it's like an, un, like, an, like like the layers of an onion, you know, you kind of un- let the customer unpeel things in small pieces and let them define how deep they want to get, as opposed to forcing them to get the message by watching, reading a 25 page uh, white paper, for example, we try mm-hmm. to really split it up into small pieces, you know, and if you ever just simple little side advice here, if you ever do a lengthy document of, of like that, always have an executive one page version on the front cover of this thing, you know, or in the first page, for the person who doesn't have the time to get through the whole document. You know, it, it takes very little extra effort to ask your writer to create a synopsis executive summary at the front of the front of the document. So a little bit of simple advice that can go a long way towards improving the effectiveness of, of your sales tools. So, and by the way, the same thing in videos. If, if some videos really do require a lengthier tutorial because the technology can be fairly complex. But again, you create an executive version that, that takes less than two minutes and you create the 15, 20 minute version that someone can really dig into if they want to. Always try to have an alternative, um, tighter summary solution available wherever possible because I've mentioned this before, <laughs> but the attention span of, of, of Americans is going down rapidly in the year. 2000, the average attention span of American was measured at 12 seconds. In the year 2013, I'm sorry, 2010, it was measured at just down to, all the way down to seven seconds. So that's a huge drop in attention span. And today it's probably even lower than seven seconds. And, uh, and so you know, the attention spans are going down. Certainly we, you've heard all the stories about millennials and their, 
the whole MTV generation plus the, now the millennials in terms of things in small bites, small bursts of messaging, for example, is really, really critical. So another reason to keep them really tight, keep them really tight. Awesome. All right. So Rod, we have talked about a variety of different things today, but if you were to pick two things that you wanted our listeners to do differently tomorrow, based on what we talked about today, what would it be? Well, quite simply, talk to your customers, talk to your field organization, and begin to profile your, you already probably do profile your customers in terms of creating customer personas, but extend those personas further to identify what are the likely emotional challenges and the emotional goals of those people, not just the business goals. Get uh, a list of what those critical, typical personal goals would be for people in those positions of decision-making and identify ways that you can begin to infuse into your messaging, the front end of your messaging, not deeply buried into the, into the, the documents, but up in the front end of your messaging, how do we communicate both your business messaging and that personal value messaging of what this is gonna do to them personally? Because, and then take a look at your competitors, just take a look at your competition and see if they're doing it. If they're not doing it, you've got an opportunity, you've got a window of opportunity. And I can promise you in 95% of the cases, they're not presenting any type of personal value messaging on the front end of their sales messaging. So you've got an opportunity to really do that. And it doesn't take a lot to at least get that, that ball rolling on making that effort to do that. Uh, that's really, really critical. The second thing is, is why you're talking to customers is, you know, be thinking about uh, those critical sets of questions. And I can send you, um, actually there's an article we published that, that um, I can send uh, to Rebecca to, to post as well too, that has those questions I talked about. So you can have a, you can print them off and take a look at those critical questions in terms of what you want to ask both the customers directly as well as your field people when you talk to them and get out there and talk to people, you know, use the, remind yourself of the Nihito principle, get out of the office, talk to customers. Awesome. Yes. And then we will link the, the article that he just referenced into the description of the podcast so that everyone can access right. it. Um, thank you, Rod. It was a great pleasure to have you on today. And I hope you'll join us awesome. again. I hope it was helpful. Thank you very much. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you all for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.